Hey, everybody. Welcome to LettermanRow.com. I am Jeremy Birmingham. That is Spencer Holbrook. This is Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast brought to you by Buyers Automotive. We are back in our normal uh, environment. Spencer and I just shooting the proverbial poop, talking about recruiting stuff. Um, Spencer, you know, obviously last week, uh, Austin pinch hit for you while we were on the road. And, you know, Texas going there, uh, it was pretty much what I expected. I mean, it, it's one of these things where I, I marveled back in April um, how much talent there was just in the Atlanta area and how many different, not just Division One prospects are in that area, but how many Ohio State prospects are in that area. Like, it's crazy to think that's one city and you can find 10 to 12 different real legitimate Buckeyes level players in that spot. Texas is the same way, except it has like five of those cities that have that many players in, 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 and I mentioned this on Letterman Live on Monday, but the fact that Texas and Texas A&M and these other big time schools and like aren't winning a bunch of national championships is crazy to me because there's so many good players. Well, that was one of my biggest takeaways from your guys' trip because I was following it, you know, at every turn that you guys made, I was following there and, uh, the amount of guys, and you guys did a fantastic job. Don't take this the wrong way. The amount of guys you didn't get to talk to right. because you would have to spend probably a month down there if you wanted to talk to every single player that you probably should talk to. Like, that's my biggest takeaway is yeah. like you talk to the, the cream of the crop, the best players. But like, if you actually wanted to talk to every player that, that you know, has Ohio State high on its on their board or every player that Ohio State has high on their board, you would have to probably spend a month down there. And that just is a testament to the talent that is that is assembled down in Dallas and Austin and San Antonio and Houston. But the trip seemed like a, a huge success, and there's a lot to, uh, to dissect from it, um, yeah. for sure. I, and I know the one thing, and, and people, you know, when we do these shows, we I constantly am beating this, you know, talking point about how just different the kids are Ohio State is recruiting and if you go back and watch the videos from last week you can really see like look at a, a kid like Cam Dewberry for example who I really haven't had much of a personal experience with prior to this last week like I didn't really know what to expect out of out of Cam and and his personality and and then you meet him and he's he he is just such another great kid and you know Caleb Burton um Braylon James like these are just kids that I'm like, wow, this is a really, it, it's no longer a coincidence or it's no longer a surprise, I guess, because it, they're making it such a point to recruit these players that are, are, are really just great young men. And, you know, I think that people, I, I don't know if people give enough applause for that because what they're doing is, is really impressive to be able to compete on the level that they're competing on. Um, and, and I mean, driving around the state of Texas, talking to the high school coaches, talking to the players, it's Ohio State and Alabama in everyone's mind, pretty much everywhere. I mean, you know, it's funny because Clemson obviously has won a couple of national championships in the last few years and was playing that role of thorn in the Buckeye side. But I don't think on a national perspective yet they are where Ohio State and Alabama are with in the minds of these kids. Yeah, and, and you wonder how long that's going to to take for Clemson to get there. And then I also wonder – what, what this entire situation at Texas is going to be, because you can't yeah. really get through that state without talking about the burnt orange. And so I think there is a level of, you know, Texas is still down right now. What happens in the next two years as Texas breaks into new coaching staff and, and tries to put some momentum together? It's going to be really interesting to watch. But right now, like you said, if you watch those videos, everything is about 
Ohio State and Alabama, and there wasn't really any questions about Texas because Texas yeah. just isn't on that level right now. And it's that's Ohio just the State, way it Alabama, is. Oklahoma for all these kids. I mean, those are those are the schools that are involved. And you know, if you think about this from Texas, Steve Sarkeesian obviously just won a national championship. It's a very it's a situation where you think that he should be able to come in and kind of buoy the Longhorns program, but that you can already tell, and I, I don't, we're not here to talk stuff about Texas or anyone else really, but you can already tell they're making some of the same mistakes. I mean, that, that the previous uh, administrations there have done. If you look at Braylon James, like why haven't you offered Alabama's offered him, Ohio state's offered him, Georgia's offered him, LSU's offered him. What are you waiting for? You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, See, this is where sometimes I feel like maybe it's a touch hypocritical because we know covering Ohio that if just because Alabama offers a kid in Ohio doesn't mean the Buckeyes are going to at this point because Alabama has a history of just offering kids in Ohio to try to make Ohio State offer them. But the, the, there's no proof to suggest that this is a similar situation in Texas. So the kids Ohio State's offered earlier, kids like J.K. Dobbins or um, – you know, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like these are kids that are legitimate five-star players that everyone knows about. And Texas is just deciding not to offer them until the very end or, or to make a push at the very end. And you just wonder, you know, you got a kid that's 25 minutes away from your campus and a kid like Braylon James, and you just ask yourself, like, what do you, why aren't you offering this kid? Like, what does he not, what box does he not check? Um, and And you start to just, you start to see why, some of these kids have grown so just, I don't want to say disenchanted with Texas, but they certainly don't revere the Longhorns in the way that Ohio kids do Ohio State. And um, I don't know if that's something that's going to change quickly. I think it's a big umbrella you got to cover too when you're when you're in yeah. Texas because that you know we talk about Texas shortcomings, but it's not easy to recruit that state even when you're Texas because of how many different places the talent comes from so maybe it's that but you know if this was just dallas if you guys had just went to dallas and the conversation was about ohio state alabama and oklahoma you can kind of understand that because norman is closer to dallas than austin is and and you can kind of see a little bit of the pull there to go to oklahoma no you were in houston you were in austin you were in san antonio it didn't matter where you went in that state it was ohio state and alabama and i think that is where Texas runs into trouble. And like you said, we're not here to talk about Texas, but when you go down there, it's a huge talking point. If they're not talking about the Longhorns and they're talking about Alabama and Ohio state, you've got to wonder what's going on here. And what's going on here is Ohio state and Alabama are just different. There's the occasional anomaly inside of Ohio where a kid will say he grew up, you know, dreaming of a Clemson offer dreaming, you know, but 99% of the kids in Ohio at Ohio high schools, their dream school is Ohio state. If you talk to these kids in Texas, like how many times you hear it? Ohio State was my, my favorite school growing up. Oklahoma was my dream school. Like that's not a good thing for, for Texas, especially because you see A&M on the come up a little bit and they're starting to, you know, really kind of feel themselves a little bit. It, it starts to change that entire dynamic in the state. And, that I, you know, as just a fan of college football and a fan of recruiting, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how Steve Sarkeesian has to to navigate these first, you know, handful of months on the job once the season actually starts, because if they go out and aren't a markedly improved program on the field, you know, they're doing good things and they're, you know, up renovating their stadium when they put up, you know, fallopian tubes in their crowd or whatever it is, you know, that's cool, right? Like great job. 
but you still have to put a product on the field that people care about. And that's what we saw at Tennessee last summer. It's what we saw at Maryland last summer. Like you got to, you still got to win games. And, you know, that's why you can almost see, you know, like Indiana, like they, they won games. So now all of a sudden they start to gain a little, a little steam and, and you start to hear their name pop up and, um, you know, in, in, in the midst of these, these second tier, I don't like to use that term, but, you know, not Ohio state level players across the board, but, you know, you start to hear them talked about a little bit, Oh, Tom Allen's doing good things because they're winning on the field. You know, it's not about how much money they're spending to renovate their stadium or, or, you know, the coach that just won somewhere else. Like who cares? Who cares if the coach won somewhere else? He's got to win at your school. And I guess the last thing I'll, I'll add to this this conversation about the Texas tour and winning on the field and everything, when these kids that are being recruited right now were young kids, and I, I hate to, to age both of us, but at, when these kids were, were little kids, Ohio State won a national championship. Yeah, I mean, they're still little kids. <laughs> that's that's yeah, the no. one thing that's kind of crazy. Like, we're talking to 16-year-olds, and, like, they haven't seen Texas, you know, win anything important in their entire lives. I mean, it, when, it's – when they're getting introduced to college football, Ohio State's winning a national championship and beating Michigan in a two versus three game. And yeah. Texas is going four and eight and five and seven, losing to Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, yeah. in, the, in you know, at the Texas State Fair, like this is not, you know, they, these kids don't remember Mac Brown and, and Vince Young and, and, you know, that era of college football. This is Ezekiel Elliott against David Ash or whoever's playing quarterback at Texas, like this is not comparable right now. But they and do so, actually know the, the the irony here, of course, is that they know who Mac Brown is because he's recruiting the heck out of them for North Carolina. So, <laughs> you know, it's like it, it's just a this weird, like weird, weird world, man. I don't know. Um, you know, Texas, obviously, we I could talk a lot about a lot of things down there, but I just want to get to a few things. Number one, Quinn Ewers is so good at quarterback that it doesn't look like he's ever trying to play hard, which is, I think like the greatest like compliment you can give someone. It's so natural for him. Like, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it can really be explained until you watch it in person. I mean, just watching him run a practice there at South Lake Carroll, these throws that he's making with it's, you can tell that he's challenging himself to see, okay, can I do this? And then he does it, and then it's like, oh, um, okay, what about the next thing? Can I do – and, uh, you know, Austin and I talked about this one touchdown that he threw in practice to uh, Landon Sampson where he, you know, play-actioned to his left, rolled right, and then just flung it, like, from beneath his waist, just underhand, 30 yards. And it wasn't just that he threw it 30 yards basically underhand. It was that – he threw it to a spot on the field where Samson wasn't and threw it knowing that he was going to be there and dropped it in the bucket in a, in such a way that it was so like, uh, okay, I, I could do this a million times a day. And the entire, you know, indoor field there at South Lake Carroll is going crazy. All the players are jumping around like crazy. All the parents that are there watching are going crazy. And here's Quinn just goes right back, gets another ball, gets in the huddle and, you know, like, Oh, okay. Next. It was just stunning to me to see the efficiency that he ran the offense there, the calm, which he does everything. And I think that, you know, people who watched the Bermanology edition with, with Quinn last week, oh, that could, you know, he maybe doesn't look like he wants to be there. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be talking about himself. He doesn't want to be talking about recruiting. He just wants to play football, go hunting, go fishing and do his thing. And I think that at some point, you know, all the conversation about flipping to Texas or doing like, 
it just needs to, to stop because he, he's just simply not interested in this stuff. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy. And I think people should applaud that rather than try to pick at it. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask, I mean, you've seen, you've seen all the great high school quarter, most of the great high school quarterbacks in the last seven or eight years. I mean, you, you've been to the opening or not the opening, the elite 11 a couple of times. Uh, I think you saw Trevor and Justin compete mm-hmm. in, in high school. What, what do you see from Quinn? I, I know that it's really hard to compare him to the number one overall pick in the NFL draft and the number 11 overall pick in the NFL draft, two Heisman Trophy contenders, two national cha- or a national champion and a guy who, who made it to a national championship game. But two college where football, do you, three college football playoffs in his career for Justin Fields. What do you, what do you see at Quinn? I mean, you know, I, it's hard to compare because we're talking to apples to oranges here in the, in the settings that I've seen them in. Um, seeing Justin and Trevor at the opening and in the Elite 11 finals and that kind of stuff back in 2018 um, or 2017, this is when it was. So they were, you know, going into their senior year of high school. That competition is set up in a way that really highlights the quarterback, right? Like if this was Quinn Ewers running a practice and, you know, playing full live football in practice. I mean, they were hitting, they were, Uh, obviously I don't think anyone's watching Quinn Ewers and expecting him to be a guy that's going to go out and run a four or five, like Trevor Lawrence or a four, four, like Justin Fields. He's not six foot six, like Trevor Lawrence. He doesn't have, I I don't think he has the the zip on the ball that Justin Fields does, but the, the player comparison, and this is why I think sometimes people get a little, I don't know that it's one of those guys, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be like a, Tony Romo and like it could be a Philip Rivers, you know, like these are great NFL quarterbacks. And so you don't want to try to suggest that he's like a physical anomaly like Fields and Lawrence are, but just as a football player and the way that he handles himself and the way that it's natural. Like I I think that the, the exciting thing with Quinn Ewers is that number one, I was surprised at how tall he is. I, I, I thought maybe the 6-2 listing was, you know, generous based on just what I'd seen out of him before he entered high school, which I guess is stupid on my part to think like, oh, he couldn't have got taller. But he was like a legit 6-3. Uh, he's much more solidly put together than you think um, when you see him because he's still a high school kid who hasn't spent a lot of time like in the weight rooms and doing those things. I think the exciting thing is knowing that, like, you know how you have to turn – coal into diamonds to get a diamond right with Quinn Ewers like you're starting with a diamond and then you can still just make it a better diamond like it this this is about as good as it gets for a high school football prospect like there's not a thing about him that you look at his footwork is great his release is great it's natural he can he's athletic enough to move around in the pocket without being a guy that you know wants to run all the time he's a team first guy like there's just so many good things about what Quinn Ewers does. And I, I don't, I don't, as I've said to you and other people before, I thought that Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, I've said for years, I thought Trevor Lawrence would be the number one pick. I don't think anything ever changed that. Justin Fields was better than him the one day that I saw them in person. But I always thought that Trevor, just because of the size and everything else, would be the number one pick. I don't know if Quinn's going to be that guy. I think it's silly to try to, you know, forecast that far in advance, but. There's no reason to think he couldn't be that guy. Like 
Now, again, that's, you know, from two and a half hours of watching him throw the football in practice, but obviously his national ranking, his, you know, 1.00, you know, composite ranking, those are, those are not things that are handed out just willy-nilly. That's given to him because everyone who's seen him feels the same way that I do. Um, you know, I, I don't even think that there's like, I don't even know that there's like a, a real like spot where you go, okay, well, this needs work. Like, you know, it's not like Justin coming out of high school. You could be like, okay, well, his accuracy at times was a little off. You don't know, you know, how, how we can do that with Trevor. It, it was sort of like, he takes a lot of chances and, and maybe makes too many mistakes, throws the ball around a little bit too much. Quint, like there aren't these questions with Quintus. Um and to me, that's what makes it more make, makes it interesting because you're going to have to really nitpick to find problems with his game, and that means from the minute he gets on campus at Ohio State, the the work is going to be about enhancing what he does and not having to break down things and then build them back up. Does that makes you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, I, and, and I, I think I think Kyle McCord's a lot in that same vein. I mean, there's not like you don't watch Kyle McCord and think, oh, this is Kyle's got a huge arm, right? But he's not but he didn't have a bunch of things you have to break down. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we try to do with every player in high school is find a comp for him. And I just, there isn't really a comp for what Quinn does. And I know you've seen him in person now, might be a little easier to give him a comparison. When I watch him on film though, it's like, okay, one throw, he looks like Trevor Lawrence going out of the pocket and making a throw one throw. He'll look like almost like Sam Howell from, from North Carolina. There's other throws where he makes a play out of the pocket and it looks like, like a taller Baker Mayfield. It's like, you don't really have a, a true comparison for him. And, and I think that's what makes him so special is like, you can't point to a guy and say, okay, that's what he could become because he could become everything or he could become, you know, another five-star Some, Something totally different. I mean, you just don't yeah. know. And that's, that's what makes it, I think the things that surprised me about Quinn, you were seeing him for the first time extended live was how well he threw the ball on the run. Um, it's clear to me that he works on that. Like he works on those off platform throws and, you know, trying to make sure that when it comes time to improvise, he has those tools in his, his toolkit. Um, it, you know, they, they do run some read option there at South Lake. So like he, you know, that he can handle that as well. But honestly, the thing that surprised me the most was just how he moved. And as I was at Duncanville talking to the coaches there, we were talking about Quinn and the game that they played against him where Southlake knocked Duncanville out of the playoff last year, which is, you know, Quinn had just recovered from a hernia surgery and came back and they were expecting him to be, you know, kind of statuesque and he's running all over him. Like, we didn't expect this out of him. And so, like, you know, he has that toughness that you – that you need out of a quarterback. Um, and he just, I, I just think that, you know, as a player, again, I, I don't want to put too much more time into that, but there's not a lot of things that you can critique with, with Quinn Ewers at this point. It's not even a trying to be, you know, hyperbolic or trying to blow smoke up anyone's butt. It's just the, the kid just has a very good starting point for when he gets into college. I mean, again, similar to Trevor Lawrence, there wasn't a, a lot of knocks on Trevor. Oh, oh, don't, don't throw, don't trust your arm a million percent, trust it only 750,000%. You know what I mean? That's what Trevor's biggest thing was. Um, and so I, that's where I'm going with, with Quinn. I just think that it's, um, you know, he's going to be at Ohio state twice in June. That in itself is, is telling. I think the fact that he's coming in for his official visit uh, the weekend of the June 4th through the 6th and then turning right back around, 
and going to visit again the next weekend so that he can be there with his teammate. You know, sort of a little uh, life coming full circle because the first time that he came to Ohio State, he came with Drew Donnelly, uh, whose you know father Doug played at Ohio State. So that was you know Quinn sort of being the tag along. Uh, and now here he is trying to get a teammate of his offered by Ohio State. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, and I just think that if, if you look at him, people are going to wonder, you know, and we've talked about it. Oh, how come he's not more vocal? Like, who cares? You have the number one player in the country. Uh, it is a clear cut number one player in the country. He is the best prospect in, in America. He doesn't need to stand on a building and tell people to come to Ohio State. They know who Quinn Ewers is. And that's. And I think that's one of the probably the most refreshing thing about him is that he's understanding that his game will do the talking for him. And uh, I think that will endear him to a lot of people over the years. All right. That's that's a good yes. good way to talk about him. I think, you know, we we kind of just brush over him because he's committed and he's locked in and and we kind of sometimes forget, I think, to talk about the number one overall player in the country being yeah. committed to Ohio State. So it's it's good to have the conversation like that just to give people a little bit of an insight of, of what he's about but i wanted to get an insight on another guy uh former five star instead of a or current five star is uh i want to get this right Polly neo it's a tough one. right the g is silent like lasagna neo teote um you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot that's changed. Uh, I, I think that what's interesting here, uh, as we talk, I guess, circle back to Texas, the, the conversation a week ago, right at the point when Henry Toto was making his decision between Ohio State and Alabama, and a lot of people still believed it was going to be Ohio State, um, you know, but as, as we talked about here a few times, like, it just seemed like something was wrong, like there was a holdup somewhere. Um, the day that Toto picked Oklahoma, or Alabama, there were reports coming out of Texas that Neo Teote was expected to pick the Longhorns and it was going to, it was coming. It was, you know, almost imminent. And then like 24 hours later, the Texas message boards and, and the Texas analysts are going, well, actually maybe not because now Ohio state's reaching out again. And I, I mean, I know that the Buckeyes took a day uh, to sort out their, their linebacker needs and decided that it was still worth it to, to go after Paulier, uh, um, Neo Teote, because of one simple thing. The Buckeyes are playing a long snapper at linebacker in the spring game, okay? Like, this is not a situation. If, if they end up, you know, bringing EA in and he, and he joins the, the roster at some point, which I, I firmly expect to happen, I don't know when, um, this is not an apples-to-apples apples comparison for what they thought they were going to do with Teote. This is not a guy who – you pencil in as a starter or anything like that. This is a this is a look at a guy and say, okay, we know him, we like him, we know who he is, we know where he comes from, we trust him as a human, we trust him as a teammate. And then you say, we have nobody else on the roster like this kid. He's six foot two, 250 pounds. He's not, you know, one of these um, smaller undersized linebackers that are flying around. You're, you're talking about a true Malik Harrison type, bigger bodied outside linebacker that maybe doesn't fit into what people are thinking the Buckeye defense is going to be this year with the, with the implementation and the real using of the bullet position. Um, I don't think it changes that, but I think it gives you flexibility and options when you do have to play against teams that maybe are more traditional run style offenses. 
So I think that that's the reason why you'll see Ohio State, if they do bring him in, that that's the reason why. It's not because they don't like the guys they have. It's not because they don't think that Kayvon Pope or Tommy Eichenberg or Taraji Mitchell or Dallas Gann or any of these guys can play uh, because I don't think it, it impacts them at all. I think the reason that you go after Naote Ote here is because Mitchell Melton is out. And that's the spot you need to fill because that's the role Mitchell Melton was going to fill as that bigger bodied Sam linebacker when you do have to go to a traditional front. It's not a situation where, again, with, with Toto, I think that the belief was that he could be a guy that plug and play as a starter. And I don't think that's the way with, with EA. All right. I think what do you say? A, uh, I don't have much insight on this situation. You know, I, I try to be blunt with the people. I, I don't know as much as that's what's going on as what you do. You, you are in the know on this. I am not. And so I'm just another person learning about it through you, Berm. And so well, I, mean, I think that, the, I think that there's it. a concern. People are wondering, like, okay, if you bring in a transfer, is someone else going to leave? And, and I don't know that that's a zero-sum game. I don't know that if you don't bring in somebody that someone isn't going to leave. I think that that could still happen one way or another. But I think that what the Buckeyes are looking at, Spencer, is how does this, how does this help our roster? Like, how does this, you know, shore up an area where we are a little bit uh, deficient right now? And that deficiency is in the bigger linebacker. Yes, you have young guys like Cody Simon who you really like, but he's not that guy. He's not that, you know, Sam that true Sam linebacker, the Baron Browning type body that you lose and uh, Paulier is. So I think that that's the reason why it's even worth looking at. Well, and I think this is, this is where I stand on it then is Ohio state knows that Tommy Eichenberg and Cody Simon and the, the three seniors, they all can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. But the body style that you played with, with Baron Browning last year is just different. And you really yeah. cannot coach that or teach that or build that it just comes naturally. And to bring a guy in like Neoteote, if you are able to do that, it completely changes the way you can game plan based just on body style and who's on the field on this third down and who's on the field right. when you know that they're, they're going to run the ball, who's on the field for this specific situation. It's not a thing where Henry Ototo is a special kind of player that can play every down and do whatever you need him to do. They, they don't grow on trees. And so you need certain guys for certain uh, situations and certain roles. And Neoteote fits the role of what Ohio State currently does not have on the roster. Right. And, so, and, and that, I think that is the key point that people need to take away. Yeah. And so, so it makes sense from a lot of different angles. And truth be told, I fully expect Ohio State to land him. It, it comes on no, no true insight. But, but I think that it's just a match that fits well. I think if he looks at his options of USC, Texas, Ohio State, whoever else is in there, Ohio State has a need for him, has a want for him, and it's a place where he can win a national championship. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of these relationships that was really founded in the recruiting. This is a kid that was at Bishop Gorman High School at the same time Ohio State was signing three players or had three players committed from that school with Tate Martell and Tyjon Lindsay and Haskell Garrett. He's still very close with Haskell. It, it's just a situation where, as I said, it, at the start of this topic here on Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast brought to you by Byers Auto, is that if you don't trust this kid, if you don't know him, if you don't like him and, and don't believe that he's a fit at, as far as the roster goes, then you don't bring him in. And I think that they will bring him in. So I, I think I would pencil him as in 
to the class uh, uh, of 2021 or 22 or whatever it is. Either way, I think that he's a guy that will end up on the Buccaneers roster. But I think people need to understand it's not because it's not the same situation as Henry Toto. That was a we have an opportunity to enhance the roster by adding Toto. This is a situation where you have an opportunity to shore up a positional need. I think you just gave us the perfect segue to go into a, a mini game of in or out. We've been on it for, for quite a while. Uh, I don't know if you want to hit the jingle, if you want to just introduce the in game. In or out, it's the game of in or out. So I think that's a little different than the jingle that we had before. Yeah, I don't uh, know the jingle. Um, I guess we need I, to actually try to record one at some point. I still have it uh, somewhere. I'll have to break it out for one of these special editions. Maybe for the for the first weekend after the dead period's lifted, I'll break it okay. out for special for the people. But I, I think her. Yeah, let's just talk about the class of 2022. Uh, yeah. or, no, you know what, Spencer? You're in charge of this game. And I again, folks, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, I need you to know. This is not scripted. I don't know who he's asking me about. We're just going to shoot the proverbial poop, as I said. Uh, we've been on for, I think, about a half hour. So I think I'm going to keep this with maybe we can do offensive guys this week, maybe defensive guys next week, make in or out a two-week game. Okay. Um, so let's let's just start right there. I'm going to start at the running back spot. A uh, lot of chatter, uh, not a lot of movement, but but quite a bit of chatter right now. And, and I think this could be solved sooner rather than later with these visits coming up. Uh, in or out, I'll give you two names, Dallin Hayden and Omarion Hampton. Let's play in or out with those guys. Okay, well, that could be an either-or situation, but it could also be a both situation, depending on how the roster shakes out. Uh, I think Dallin Hayden is in. Uh, I think that the reason he's visiting first among all the running backs is to give him the opportunity to, to make that decision. And then they can take a step back and reassess things. I think they really like Omar Aaron Hampton and that official visit. Uh, you know, he was on Bermanology for a reason. It's because they they really do feel good about him. Um, you know, he's coming off of a broken ankle. You don't know exactly how the recovery goes there. Um, but I think Down Hayden is in, and I'm going to put a TBD on Hampton just because I don't know entirely what they want to do with the number at running back. But I think if it's a one person class, I think it's down Hayden. If it ends up being two, I absolutely could see them both. In. All right. And we're going to move on to wide receiver. Um, let's go CJ Williams. Out. Um, not because he doesn't want to be in. I just think that the way the timing is his official visit for June has been canceled because of track. So he's not going to be able to make it on the weekend of June 11th, like he'd intended to. That means his official visit isn't going to happen until at least the fall. And I, I just think that the way that other dominoes are shaping up right now, that he will end up. My gut still tells me Notre Dame is the team to beat there. Um, and that's where I see him. Uh, a lot of smoke around this player next, uh, Caleb Brown. It came, the crystal ball for him. And I know we don't we don't really talk too much about that kind of stuff. I know we don't really like to to really, you know, prognosticate based on, on what others say, because we have our own information, but the, it kind of came out of nowhere. A, a crystal ball for Caleb Brown came out of nowhere. And, and now all of a sudden there's some real, I guess, momentum, if you want to put it bluntly. Um, let's, let's talk about Caleb Brown. I'm going to say in, um, but I, I agree that it still feels a little like tenuous. So there, there has not been, he's never visited. He is visiting Ohio state the first week of June. Um, but it will be an unofficial visit after the big weekend. So it's not like he's going to be there at the same time as all these other guys are. 
this is a fact finding mission for Caleb Brown. He he's he's been a, a big fan of Ohio State. He loves Brian Hartline, but he hasn't always been the most um, you know interconnected player with with the coaching. He doesn't really want to talk to coaches a lot. He just kind of lives his life and does his thing. So it's 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 really for both sides. That early June trip is to make sure that the the relationship that has begun really accelerating and it has in the last month to make sure that that is what they think it is. And and I think as long as that first visit goes well and he feels comfortable at Ohio State and they feel comfortable with him personality-wise, which I think is the biggest question, his game film is unbelievable. The kid is, you know, the number six ranked player in the country at his position. He's a little different body-wise than Ohio State's been recruiting at wide receiver, but I think that that's actually a, a draw for Ohio State at this point to have somebody that does things a little bit differently. Um, and so I think it's, I think he's in, but I think the important thing is, is that unofficial visit, how that goes again, this is not a situation at all about anything other than personality wise, is he going to be a fit? Because I, they know athletically and talent wise, he's a fit. So, um, I think that he's in. All right. Uh, let's move on to the, to the big guys. Uh, Zach Rice. We talked a lot about Zach Rice a couple of weeks ago. He's got a huge visit coming up. Um, with, I think he's visiting. Yeah. With, with all of the, the commits. And so it, it's yeah. a really big weekend for Ohio state in that regard, along the offensive line for Greg's to draw what to really cement himself. What, what do you think about Zach Rice? I still think it's out. I don't like to hedge the bet. I don't like to do the maybe in the middle. I mean, the game is called in or out, not in out or maybe, or could be. Um, I think he's out as of today, but I do think that it's, moving at least in a better direction for Ohio state than it was like four months ago. Maybe that's because the visits are now happening and he knows that he's actually finally going to get to see Ohio state. And maybe that's encouraging him to be more uh, open to the idea of being there. Um, Maybe it's the fact that the Ohio state offensive line uh, is severely going to be lacking in true tackles after the 2022 season. Uh, Who knows? But that I think is the, I think it's moving in the right direction, but again, we're playing in or out. So he's still out. Uh, let's stay on the outside of the offensive line and go Cam Dewberry. You just talked to him. Uh, I, I think he's an intriguing option for Ohio state. And I think, I think he's a guy that, that Ohio state fans would really like. I, like I said, at the top of the show, like I was actually, I was just stunned at how much I liked talking to Cam Dewberry. I, I did not expect it. Um, because like I said, social media wise, he's not the most responsive and I've tried in the last you know year to, but he was totally different. Um, and I, I'm going to say out, but that's just because I feel like there's already a decision made somewhere. I don't know why. I just think that like it's A&M, LSU, these other schools that are involved are a little bit closer to home. And I don't, I, I know he's fine with the idea of leaving home but I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to love his Ohio state visit. And I think he's going to have a tough decision to make, but I still think he's out. Okay. A uh, guy that we have not talked about. I'm super high on this guy. He's from Mount California, uh, but slight inside Ernest green is from the same high school. Wyatt Davis is, he reminds me a lot of Wyatt Davis um, from looking at their high school film side by side. And we just, he doesn't get a lot of the attention because he, we just don't, truly talk about him that much, but in or out Ernest Green from California. I think, I think in, and I think that the Wyatt Davis connection is, is very important there. I, um, but you know, he's not visiting until the season. So you, you have this time for other things to happen. Um, clearly there's a huge push right now in Southern California for kids to stay home and go to USC. Um, but Ernest has been 
heavily influenced by Wyatt Davis over the years. And um, I think that once he gets on campus at Ohio State, I think that one picks up in a, in a good way for the Buckeyes. And um, I think he's in. Okay, let's go two more guys and then maybe a third if I'm feeling it. Uh, Emil Wagner, I think he's in. He's going to end up in the class. How do you feel? I still, I think he's in. Um, I, I think that there is real reason to be worried about Notre Dame and that recruitment. I don't think that people should uh, brush them off. But again, similar to Zach Rice, I think you're going to see Emil. Number one, he grew up, you know, at Huber Heights Wayne High School. He, it's a legacy of Buckeyes. Yes, that actually may be working against him with Notre Dame right now because of Marcus Freeman and Mike Mickens over there, who are both from Wayne, um, working for the Irish. But I, I think that the opportunity at Ohio State combined with the lifelong dream of playing there, um, when you look at the offensive line and the tackle need, I, I think that that, and plus, as Emil said, like he's not a kid who wants to go in and, and feel like he has to play right away. He understands that it's going to take a year or two to develop into what he wants to be. Um, and I don't know, maybe there's less pressure to do that at Notre Dame uh, than there is at Ohio State. I don't know. Uh, I still think he's in, but I, I don't believe that Notre Dame is uh, like just a play pretend threat here. I think it's a real, real problem. All right. I'm going to surprise you with one. I, I don't think you would expect me to, to, to bring this one out. Jalen early. I didn't get a chance to talk to Jalen. The same problem with, we had with Omari Abor last week at Duncanville where the practice was canceled and we didn't get a chance to, to catch up. Um, I think he is, I, I think he, I mean, again, the game is in or out right now. I would say he's out. I, I think he could be in at the end of June after he makes his official visit, especially if he's able to find, a chance to work out for Ohio state and they can really be sure of exactly what he is. I think that he's a kid that really likes Ohio state. I think he's a good fit from the uh, positional versatility that he brings and the, the personality that he has. But um, I, I don't think that it's at that point where I would put him in. And then I hate to do this to you. I apologize, but you're going to get questions like these until Lord, signing day. Dear Lord, until, I apologize. <laughs> until signing day uh, is Ohio state going to get a visit? And this is the, you just, just have to answer is Ohio State going to get a visit in or out on a visit from Keonta Goodwin? I don't think so. Um, and I, I'm going to say this and I, it's going to be, this will probably be the thing from this show that ends up on other message boards and stuff. And people tell me I'm crazy, which is fine because I am a little crazy. Am I crazy? I'm a little crazy. I don't think that Ohio State is going to entertain the game you know I, I mean i think that the the writing was on the wall about the visits being able to happen in june there was really no reason to hurry into a commitment knowing full well that officials were going to happen i mean the dead period um removal had been announced two days before he committed uh i, I know that ohio state believes keontae goodwin is a potential number one overall pick at tackle um, but this is one of those situations where I think that maybe Ryan Day is a little different than Urban Meyer in that I, I don't, this is just my gut telling me that like, you know, there was talk last year about Devontae Smith after he decommitted from Ohio State and flipped to Alabama. That there was a lot of talk about him wanting to get back into the Ohio State class at the end of the cycle. And that's not me speculating. I was told that directly by a number of people. Um, but Ryan Day doesn't seem to be interested in, entertaining that sort of 
stuff. If you want in at Ohio State and you have an opportunity to be in, he will welcome you open arms. But if you say, you know what, no, and then you decide to try to fiddle around afterward, I just don't get the sense that he's into that type of shenanigans. And, you know, I, I don't think he wants to to deal with it. Um, that's just, again, that's just my read on what I know about Ryan Day over the last couple of years of covering him. Um, and that could be completely baseless. So who knows? But if Keontae Goodwin said, hey, I'm coming up to visit, obviously I think Ohio State would say, sure, well, welcome. But I don't think it's a situation right now where they're going to be like aggressively going after him. They're going to say, if you want it, you're going to have to come to come do it. They're not going to beg. There's also a, an element to the Ryan Day era so far that is almost uh, not arrogant at all. I don't. I, maybe that's for lack of a better word. If you want to go to Kentucky over Ohio State, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a knock on Kentucky. Obviously, they're, they're building a good program. They've done a nice job with the offensive line recruiting. Um, you know, Ohio State's tried to go into Kentucky and recruit offensive linemen from that state a handful of times in the last few years and have fallen short every single time to the Wildcats. So whatever they're doing, kudos. Uh, they obviously uh, have, have a good pitch to whatever they're saying for, the, for these recruits. Um, so I don't want anyone to think that it's a, a disparaging remark to Kentucky, but uh, I think you're right. I mean, Ohio State has always said that they're not going to recruit against Kentucky in football. So if if you want to go there, go ahead. Um, but that's but that's kind of the way they are with everyone at this point, Spencer. They're they're not begging any recruits to come to Ohio State at this point. Um, they understand that their position is, is lofty and that they can pretty much select anyone they want. Um, and, and while they see the difference in players like Keontae Goodwin and generational talent like that. Um, you know, Ohio state's going to be okay one way or the other. And, uh, I, I certainly, again, so to answer the question, will they get a visit? I'm going to say no, because I don't think they're going to ask him to visit. And I don't think that from what I know from about Keontae Goodwin, I don't, he seems like a kid who's very comfortable just, in his choice and being, you know, staying at home and doing that kind of thing. So I don't think he'll be out there pushing for that trip. Will he make other visits? Probably. And if Ohio state pressed him to make a visit, would he, I think he probably would, but I don't think they're going to. There's there any player on the offensive side of the ball in the class of 2022 that we did not hit on that needs hit on. Um, I mean, I still think that there's an opportunity for Kojo Antwi to be the receiver ahead of even Caleb Brown. Um, and I did write about this uh, on, on Tuesday morning on the recruiting question of the day. I think that they're going to take four receivers uh, at this point. And so I think that there's an opportunity there to, to maybe still add someone like Antwi and then still keep recruiting Caleb Brown because he is such a different body type and a different style of player. Um, and I think that that's, from what I've heard from people about his recruitment, they believe that it's at Texas A&M, Ohio State in the lead. I know that in Georgia, they think it's Texas A&M, Georgia. I know in Alabama, they think it's Texas A&M and Alabama. To me, that leads to one logical conclusion that it's Texas A&M because everyone thinks that Texas A&M is the, that's the leader. Um, so I think that he's still there. I mean, he is making an official visit. I think that there's a possibility there for, you know, if he if he able to get to campus and connect with Brian Hartline and see that everything Brian Hartline's told him for the last year plus is true. You know, and I think that's sort of the biggest thing that these kids in the last year have been somewhat rudderless in the recruiting process because they haven't been able to really um, compare and contrast what they're hearing versus what they're seeing. And I think that June will be really, really pivotal for that. So 
Uh, I, I think that he's a guy I would still keep on the list of, of people that uh, people should pay real attention to. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, there's offensive linemen that are out there like Billy Shrouth and Joe Brunner from Wisconsin who are going to make visits, but those kids are going to go to Wisconsin or and I just don't. The other player that I left off that I was going to ask about was Addison Nichols. I think he's a guy that, that, has, that has real. I think he's in. I think Addison Nichols is in. I mean, if we're, if we're playing in or out, I, I think that he's a kid that fits Ohio State. I think, again, as, as I said in April, the, to me, the competition for Ohio State at that time was Tennessee. I still believe that. I still think that Tennessee is is maybe the the sleeper here uh, if they really can prove that they're building in the right direction. But Addison Nichols is not a kid who's only focused on winning championships or anything like that. He's a very unique kid. His family is very important to him. He's got a lot of family ties to the Knoxville area and to the Tennessee. So I think that that's one to watch for, but I, I still have him in. I think that he's a player – if you're talking about Ohio State and the sort of cult of personalities that Ohio State has on that offensive line, the guys like Kerry Miller, the guys like Luke Whipler, Harris Johnson, these really just ultra unique individuals who are also pretty damn good football players, Addison Nichols, will, he will fit in to that room. I mean, they are, you know, the whole birds of a feather thing. That dude is is definitely part of that flock. And I think that as long as he gets to campus and, and gets an opportunity to interact with these guys, he may see that there's a lot of similarities between him and these players at Ohio State that maybe he hasn't found at other spots. All right, Berm, the people have been clamoring for long episodes, and this is exactly yeah. what they're getting. Oh, I so. hope that they're not mad at us, Spencer, but if you are tough, um, because, you know, it's our <laughs> show. So um, anyway, but I do appreciate you watching and listening. That's Spencer Holbrook. I'm Jeremy Birmingham. This has been Talking Stuff, the Ohio State Recruiting Podcast brought to you by Letterman Row and Byers Automotive. Please head over to LettermanRow.com to check out all the other Ohio State football needs you have because we will try our best to fulfill them, as always. Spencer, see you later. Bye.